0: I love the next generation. I love hearing them sing and do their thing. my, My nephew here, Hunter, he was getting his dance on to the music early on. I love that guy. I love that guy, which brings us to where we are right now in our teaching series called Foundations for the Valley. Let's say that out loud together, Foundations for the Valley. And really, this is simultaneously pairing with a capital campaign that we're in called Foundations for the Valley. And we've been really just thinking about making sure we have the right posture as we're entering a season of a crossroads because we found out last year that our landlord, during this time uh, last year, that our landlord was very clear with us that at the end of May 31st of 2025, that our lease was coming to an end here. And he just wanted to tell us that, not because he didn't want, uh, not because he didn't enjoy working with us or we didn't have a good relationship, but he didn't know what his long-term planning was going to be. And so he couldn't commit to us with a long-term lease, which we've had over the years. We've had a great relationship with him. And so that gave us an opportunity as a leadership to say, okay, what will be our next step since we have this runway here? How do we leverage this moment? We have time to pray, to think about, to get ready for this season because our landlord didn't know again what he's going to do. And If I had to guess, most likely he's going to sell the building and get out of what he's been doing here. If I had to guess, again, he hasn't said that, but these are things he wasn't sure about. And he didn't want us to invest heavily here, given that reality. And so, again, kudos to him for being a man of integrity. He didn't have to tell me that. He didn't have to let me know that, but he did. And so I'm grateful for that. And so that got us thinking and praying about, okay, what do we do? for this next season? How do we get ready? And so we launched out what was called, again, Foundations for the Valley. And Foundations for the Valley really speaks on having our foundation built on Jesus, right? This church belongs to Him. It always has and always will. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church. And it has many local expressions throughout the Lehigh Valley and around the world. But we have a part to play in that. But we want to make sure we're building on the right foundation, which is Jesus. The other part of it is it speaks to next generation. As I mentioned, we saw so many here this morning already with our foundations ministry, uh, which is that ministry from six months all the way up to fifth grade that meets here on Sunday mornings. And we call it foundations, which again is a way for us to speak to next generation. We're thinking about the next generation in that way, but we're also thinking about the next generation when it comes to middle school high school students, we think about college students, when we think about young adults and young professionals, we wanna be thinking about the next generation. We wanna have that ever before us. And then for the valley is saying, hey, we wanna be in and for the valley. We don't wanna just exist for ourselves. And you heard about opportunities that we're involved in, but that's out of the heart of, first of all, Jesus, but also us joining Jesus to say, hey, we don't wanna just exist for us. We wanna be open-handed. We wanna live a life that says, Jesus, we wanna join you where you are, where you're going, how do we love and serve like you loved and served, and then also sharing what you've come to do for all people. And so as we think about this season that we're in, we've said throughout it, the facility just facilitates the mission and the vision. The facility is not the end goal for us. It's part of the way we get to the end goal, all right? And it's important that we don't miss that because if you don't understand that, you could think it's just about a building, but it's so much more for us than that because the building is a resource and a tool. It's not, any, it's not everything, but it's a part of what God allows us to do to join him for the mission and the vision that he has for us. But it comes down to proper perspective. And so we've been doing throughout this teaching series is we've been looking at the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, we find this story unfold where they're invited to join God into their new home, the promised land. And in the promised land, they're invited in faith to trust him to go where he has for them to go. But they were unwilling to go. They were unwilling to go. And, and if you've missed a Sunday throughout this teaching series, I wanna invite you to go back and listen I'm not going to recap like I have over these last couple weeks just for the sake of where we're trying to go today. But I I want to encourage you to go back and listen because they chose not to go. They chose not to go. Ten of them, ten of the spies, ten of the leaders spread amongst half a million, over half a million people this fear-based thinking. And as a result, not only did it spread, but the people became rebellious against God. And to the point where they wanted to kill Moses and go back to Egypt. (laughs) This is what they said. They wanted to go back to slavery. But there were these four people, Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron. Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that said, we can go. We can trust God. And as a result of their unwillingness to go and listen to the four that I mentioned, God says, you're not going to inherit this land. If you're 20 years and older, you will not go into the promised land. You're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years, and you're going to die here if you're 20 years and older. You're going to die in the wilderness. This is what you will experience, and there's more that happens there, and I want to invite you again to go back and listen to those messages. But then I want us to think about what it is that will take place in their lives as a result of not only what they've done, that's what we've talked about, right? Their disobedience, but what is it that God had prepared for them? And what it is that God wanted to do once they came into the promised land? And so what I want us to think about today is as we consider where God's taking us, and again, we're not limiting the promised land to a location, that could be an area in your life where you need to experience freedom and deliverance. That could be something that's ongoing, that could be an opportunity. But even as we get to whatever that is that God has for us, we wanna make sure that we have the right, not only perspective, but we're practicing in a way that prepares us for where we're going. And once we get there, the practices that need to accompany us. And as I thought about this, and as I considered where we're going today in this teaching, I was reminded of words that I've received over the last several years. And one of those words came from my father-in-law who passed away in 2011. His name's Ray. Peters. And here's a picture of Ray. And uh, this was a, a picture of him. And, and that's not really my son, Ray, but we did a gift for Amy because they actually never met. And we put a baby Ray there. Uh, and so Ray was named after Grandpa Ray, uh, his grandfather. Uh, but one of the things he told me as we were getting Riverbend started, in, and at that point I was about 27, 28 years old, he just said to me, he had been part of church planning and part of seeing a church started and established and, and seeing what God did. But the ups and downs of that, he saw church splits. He saw um, things unfold in ways that really were not God honoring. And thankfully, the church is still going today. My, my uh, mother-in-law, my brother-in-law are still a vital part of what's going on there, a big part of that. But he said to me, he said, hey, there's going to be a point in your life and leadership and in in the history of the church where there's gonna be opportunity to take on what God has for you when it comes to a building and property. Opportunities are gonna emerge potentially. And as they emerge, what will be tempting to do is to allow that thing to become the main thing instead of allowing Jesus to be the main thing and what he's about. And he said, if it doesn't, If you don't keep your attention on the right thing and you focus on the wrong thing, it leads to not only disunity, but breaks apart a church and a ministry. And I was like, thank you so much for sharing that with me at that point in time we're meeting at the Sheraton. So I'm like, that's the furthest thought in my mind about a building and a location. But here we are, right? Here we are at this crossroads. And his warning wasn't about a building in itself. His warning was, you could make the building everything. You could make even your perspective and how you want something to unfold everything versus am I humble enough to say before God, I want your will in your way. I wanna keep my eyes on you. I wanna trust how you're gonna do it. And as I've talked to others, you know, I've heard stories of people experiencing churches who became overextended financially on what it is that they took on when it came to something like this. And there's horror stories that people have and they come with, and understandably so, because they saw what it did to the church and what it did to the ministry. And one of the things that I'm grateful for is to be surrounded around people like Hunter Price and Jason McDaniel and others in our ministry who are prudent to say, we're gonna be really prudent here. We're not just gonna take on more than would we could take on or we're, we're able to take on uh, because we're allowed to, but rather whatever we're gonna take on, we want it to be fiscally responsible. We wanna honor God in that. And why are they, what are they doing? They're saying, we wanna trust you, God, to live within the boundary lines that you have for us. But again, people like Ray remind me, remind me, my father-in-law, hey, make it the main thing Keep the focus on the right stuff. And then I was reminded of others. I was at a conference recently, and this is Dr. Brian King uh, from Ezekiel Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And Dr. Brian King, he was talking about the fact that once you start to have prosperity and gain, he said a lot of times we talk about in the church, our biggest fear is persecution, but our biggest fear actually should be what we do once we have prosperity. And how do we handle that? Because prosperity... Not that it's bad to have, but it's easy to make it everything. And that's why the, the book of Proverbs, he, he talks about it in this way, and he mentioned this, in Proverbs 31, where he talks about, hey, give me neither riches or poverty. Because if I had riches, I may deny you and make that everything. And again, there's nothing wrong with having money and stuff. That's not his point. But don't give me poverty either, or I may, because I may still and dishonor your name. Give me what I need, is his prayer. And so Dr. Brian King was just given this warning to the church at large about, hey, don't get so trapped up and, and focused on prosperity that you miss the work and the person of God in Jesus and what he has for us and what he's calling us to. These are things that are helping us to have the right attitude, to make sure these, we're hearing the loving challenge of Ray and of, Dr. King, and then there's this other one, Dr. Barry Whitworth, and his thing was talking to us about idolatry and how in the American church, we we have so many things that we make ultimate. We take good things and make them God things, and we lift them up above Jesus and who he is and what he's about. Again, this is important because we don't want to lose sight of the right perspective, the right attitude that we have as we enter in, not only to where we're going, but to the promised land that God has for each and every one of us in our lives, but then collectively as a church. We want to have the right inner attitude that will lead to the outer attitudes and actions of our lives. We want them to be so interconnected together. And so if we have the right perspective, it will allow us, it will allow us to then be able to practice in a way that prepares us for what God has for us. So as we begin our time, I want to give you a couple questions before we jump into the text. And here's a couple of them. One is this, how are we to live once, once in the promised land? How are we to live once in the promised land? So that's question number one. Question number one, how are we to live once in the promised land? Here's question number two, what practices could we do now to prepare us for the promised land? So again, how are we to live once we're there, and what are the practices that we could embody? What are the things that we could embrace in our lives as we are preparing and getting ready for the promised land? Well, if you have your Bibles, i gonna invite you to open up with me to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. And I love God's heart and perspective. And specifically, you see it play out here in this passage because it's a loving father that is leading them to what is to come. He has the end in mind, even though they were disobedient, even though they were going to be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He was still loving them and caring for them in that way, but also in the future. So again, we're going to start in Numbers 15, verse 1. And I actually want us to read this out loud together. Verses are on the screen. So there's only three verses, all right? So it's not a long passage here. Three verses. Here we go on the count of three, one, two, three. Then the Lord told Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you finally settle in the land I'm giving you, you will offer special gifts as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so what you hear happening is that he's saying, hey, once you get into the promised land, once you get there, this is how you're to live. You're to live out in a place of offering to God these things that are a sweet aroma to him. And in this passage, you hear that phrase, sweet aroma, come up again and again and again. At least in this particular section, you see it three times. And then if you read through the whole chapter of Numbers 15, you see it come up about five times or more. And so what this signifies is that these offerings, these things that they were to practice and give, were meant to be these pleasing aroma to God. And I love how Dr. Tony Evans describes what we've just read here. He does a great job here, kind of unpacking this, and that brings us to this, this next part here. Dr. Tony Evans, he says the following, the offerings described in Numbers 15, three through 16 were not for sin or guilt, but were to be presented as voluntary sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, and fellowship. They were designed to show the Lord how much they valued his covenant faithfulness. This is really important. We don't miss this because these offerings are not sin offerings or guilt offerings. Now, Numbers 15, that's talked about, and we know through the finished work of Jesus, he is our sin and guilt offering, as we talked about last week. But I don't want you to miss the connection of what God was doing with his people. He was telling them, hey, I want you to have this connection with me that reminds you of my covenant faithfulness to you, how I brought you out of Egypt, how I'm taking care of you now despite your disobedience, and how I still have a promised land for you. I'm the God who's been faithful. And so these offerings were voluntarily given. They weren't I have to, they were I get to and I want to. They were offerings of praise and fellowship and thanksgiving. Again, these were the type of offerings that Numbers here is speaking on. And then when you get to the New Testament and you hear God's heart for this idea of offerings and this type of living in response to what God's done, you see Paul talk about this in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, he talks about the idea of what it is that we are giving. And as we give, we're to give from a generous place, a generous place, a generous posture in response to what God has for us. And so listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 9, six through seven, starting there, and then we'll jump in to verse eight as well. But we read this this week, if you've been following along with the 40 days of prayer and fasting, this is one of the readings, and I think it's really important we don't disconnect how giving in response to what God gave is a way to deepen one's relationship with God and what He has for them and for us. Listen to what it says here, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse uh, 6 here. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also what? Will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. I don't want you to miss this. This is beautiful language that Paul's given. Not reluctantly or under compulsion or because a pastor got up and was very convincing and guilted you into giving versus what God asked you to give. Because at the end of the day, It's really about what God is doing in your life. Each of you, again, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we're giving from a place of what God's given to us, but we're also giving from a place that we've taken the time to actually pray about it. Do you pray about it? (laughs) or someone just guilting you into it or convincing you into it or or you're like so apprehensive on this idea of giving at all. But he says you have to decide and part of that deciding is to sit before God and to ask him to show you. And this is what we see in the Old Testament here in Numbers 15. This is a voluntary gift. No one's making you do anything. This is an open-handed way of living. And then it goes on to say this, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that, in all, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every what? What's the word here? In every good work. And I don't want you to miss this because, again, it's from a response. It's not, again, someone telling you what to give. It's that you're walking in such a deep intimacy with Jesus that he's showing you what it is he has for you. And as you give, and as you give to him, and are about his ways, again, it's not reluctantly, it's not under compulsion, but it's from a cheerful place. And we hear throughout the scripture, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We hear that. But that has been proven in the neuroscience world again and again and again. But that comes from the Bible. (laughs) it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's why when we do night to shine, I'm more blessed, I'm more blessed by giving in that way and what I receive from those people who come than what they receive from me. I believe that. I believe that. But again, I don't want you to miss this. God is able. God is able. So that principle principle of sowing and reaping is important though. How are you sowing? How are you reaping? What is your response to what God has given you and what he has for you? Are we being prayerful about what he's inviting us into? And I want you to hear this. My heart is that you would get to the point where you are listening to God's voice over every other voice, including your own. Can I get an amen? I I, I know, that was kind of like, I don't know if I want to amen that. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. And that includes for me too, right? But I want us to get to the point where we're so connected to the source. We have our eyes fixed on him, that we're looking what he has for us and we're listening to what he is saying to us, that we would grow in wisdom and discernment to his voice. And so there's a couple things here as we look at this passage. When you enter a land flowing with milk and honey, it's tempting to build your life on the milk and honey. And so God knows that. God knows that about us too. And this is a reference to what the land, the promised land, is gonna be flowing with milk and honey. It's easy to make that thing the thing and to miss him in the midst of it. No matter how much he's given, no matter how much he's provided, all of a sudden that stuff becomes the thing versus him and what he's done for us. And that's why you hear Jesus talk so much about how our money is connected to our hearts. Our stuff is connected to our hearts. The way we view our time, our treasure, our talents, it's connected to our heart. And he wants to see us at a point where we're free and we're flourishing. But he knows you can't get there apart from talking about the way you view resources and what you do with them. And it's not limited to money, but that's part of it too. Again, when you enter a land flowing with milk and honey, it's tempting to build your life on the milk and honey. Well, then it goes on as we think about this here. The offering and sacrifice was to help them to stay connected to the source of their provision. I don't want you to miss this because if we're not careful, we think of sacrifice, generosity, offering as, oh man, oh, I gotta do this. Versus like, no, I get to do this. And when I do this, I'm actually experiencing the freedom of what God has for us. And it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense in a human logic. It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. But when we think about it from a kingdom perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense in the world. And think about the times in your life where you gave, and as you gave, you were reminded of the goodness of God, and God showed up in ways that were unexpected, and then the reaction and the response of the person that you served and blessed. How that impacted you personally. But I don't want you to miss this because this is what he's after. He wants them to stay connected to the source of their provision. And he wants you and I to stay connected to the source of our provision. He wants that for me. He wants that for you. And then as we think about this, here's a question for us. How will we not forget the source that sustains and provides for us. How will we? What is it that we need to do in our lives? What are those practices that we need to have in our lives so that we don't forget? Because isn't it easy to forget? I even know for me this week in my own life, there was much going on as we we're getting ready for the all church banquet and there are all these things happening simultaneously and I'm looking at my schedule and I'm looking at my time and I'm like, I got to hold on to it. And the Lord's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. is it your time or is it my time that I've asked you to steward with me? How are you looking at that? I'm like, oh, okay, all right, all right. You're right, perspective change. And as I was rolling up into the meeting that I was going to, I was like, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm attuned to what you're doing now. You got my attention, it's good. I walk into this meeting and all of a sudden I hear, Some uh, in the corner of where we were meeting at, someone say, "Joe!" They run up and give me this massive hug. And the the funny thing is, I didn't know who it was. You ever had that moment? You're like, "All right, I'm just going with this. I'm like going with it." And thankfully, the person I'm meeting with was able to to learn who they, who they were. And I was like, oh, I clearly know. They just look totally different. Haven't seen them in a long time. But then in that conversation, this person's family had been going through a really hard time. And though she had grown up in church, she had not been to a church in a very, very long time, had not been connected to Jesus and praying and seeking God. And so we had the opportunity to ask how we can be praying for her. And then on the spot, we prayed for her. And this was at a local coffee shop. But again, when I, when I allow God to have me, all of me, he steps in in those ways. But when I'm like this and not open, I miss out on what he's doing because he's working. He's working all the time. But again, how will we not forget the source that sustains and provides for us? And then the next part, what pleasing aroma can we offer the Lord? What pleasing aroma, that's what it talked about in Numbers throughout. What's the pleasing aroma of our lives that we can offer him? And as we think through Numbers 15, there's so much here beyond this offering piece of it. There's so much that's laid out about how they were to deal with sin that they did unintentionally. It, it talks about that. How are you to, how are you to deal uh, with people who are coming in who haven't grown up as a Jew? Like, how do you help them interconnect into that they're not in the Jewish culture they're not an Israelite how do you help them get connected into this And there's so much there that it talks about invite you to to check out numbers 15 on your own this week but then it gets to this portion here in numbers 15 it says this then the Lord said to Moses speak to the Israelites and say to them throughout the generations to come you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel, all right? And we're like, all right, I'm following you. Here it goes. And he goes on to say this, you will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. And as you hear these words, I want you to be reminded that we're called in to obedience. And obedience is for our sake, by the way. Jesus made it clear. When you hear my teaching and apply it, then you'll know the truth and the truth will what? Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we see this idea here coming from God to the nation of Israel, that, hey, this is a way to remember, to remember all the commands of the Lord, not some of them, but all of them, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself, not give yourself away, not give your attention and your affection away to something or someone else by chasing after the lust of your own heart and eyes. And we can limit that into the area of sexuality. That's included in this, but it's not limited to this. It could be about the stuff I take on. Got to have more. Got to accumulate more. It it could be about power and prestige and position. It could be about, I've got to be an influencer on social media. I've got to chase that. I've got to pursue that. I've got to make my life about that. To the point that we miss the one who it's actually all about and what he has for us and he says then you will remember you will remember all these commands and obey them and you'll be consecrated and the word consecrated is holy and in first peter one we're called to be holy as he is holy and holiness really speaks to this idea of being set apart from a way that's apart apart from who he is and what he's doing but also to join him in this other way of living, advancing his kingdom will here on the earth to join him in those things that he's doing. But then he goes on to say this. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Man, he's the one that brought us out of our spiritual enslavement. He's the one that has set us free again and again and again. He's the one that wants to take us through the areas in our lives that maybe we're not aware of, we need deliverance from. And he did that for them, and he's done that for us through the finished work of Jesus and what he has provided and made for us. He's made a way. And so as we think about that, as we consider that, we don't want to lose sight of who it is that we are serving and who it is that we're coming after. Because he loves us and he's for us. And because he loves us and he's for us and our response to him in relation to that reality is one that says, God, I want you above anything and everything. I wanna come after you with all that I am. And we see in the New Testament, this language is used in what Paul would talk about in Romans 12, one through two. He says this, he says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as we think about this, we're to to lay our lives in response to the mercy of God through the finished work of Jesus as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. That means our whole person before God. Every part of our lives, including our relationships, our resources, our sexuality, anything. We're to lay it down before him. We're to lay it down before him as a living sacrifice to God. He says, again, this is a a true act of worship. This is your true act of worship. It's pleasing to God. And then he talks about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are you thinking on? What are you taking in? What messages are you ruminating on and meditating on? My good friend Blake Morgan says, you're not responsible for the first thought, but you are responsible for the, every other thought that comes after that, right? So when thoughts come in our minds that are not pleasing or in accordance to what God has for us, we need to confess that and we need to make an adjustment. But when we renew our minds, then we're able to know what is the pleasing, the, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so many of us, we talk about the will of God, but if we're not doing this, how could we ever discern his will? How? It's really not his will then, it's your will, it's my will. It's really seek my kingdom first and my will be done. It's about me still, not about him and what he wants to do for us and in us. But I don't want you to miss this because as we're getting ready for what God has for us, this is something that we can do. We can offer our bodies to God. We can fully surrender to him. We can say, Jesus, I trust you. I give you every part of me. You are trustworthy. We can be countercultural, especially in the world that we live in right now where we wanna you know, demonize people, <laughs> objectify them. We live in a hookup culture. We, we just throw bodies around <laughs> through social media as if those are just things and not a person. And God says, whoa, 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 these are image bearers. We're image bearers. Let's lay our life down before God as living sacrifices. And let's not get up off the altar <laughs> of his mercy and grace, but rather let's stay with him. And let's renew our minds. Let's be people who take in scripture. And if you don't know where to start, I would encourage you to, to join us for these 40 days of prayer and these, these readings that go along with these 40 days because our condition before God is fully, fully met through Jesus. So we're justified. We're justified, meaning we are considered righteous before God. His righteousness is added to our account if we have put our trust in Jesus. That is good news, right? Amen. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other part of this, as we were talking about in our community group. We are in a process of sanctification, meaning to take on the character and the likeness of Christ. Because even though our condition before God is already settled through Jesus, we still have a broken body. We still have a mind that's broken because of sin. But praise be to God, there's a way to be renewed and to be on this process of growth through what Jesus has done for us, to be changed into who he is and what he has for us. And so I want to just invite you to be thinking about what are you using your mind on? What has your attention? What are you focused on? Are you allowing your mind to be renewed? Because the renewing of our mind, I don't want you to miss this, is connected to be able to discern what the good and pleasing will of God is. And isn't that the question that often we ask? What's the will of God? (laughs) What's the will of God? But if we want to get to the will of God, we got to do what Paul said here, right? This is what Paul said. This is, you know, this is in the Bible. This is in the scriptures. This is not Joe-isms. This is scriptural. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be thinking about the following. When we offer our bodies to God and renew our minds, we remember him and walk in his ways. We remember him, and we walk in his ways. And so the other part of this is that Jesus is for your freedom and flourishing. Jesus is for your freedom and flourishing. Can we say that out loud together? Jesus is for your freedom and flourishing. And I've been in so many conversations lately with people who this idea is so difficult for them to wrap their minds around. Because it feels like when you go to Jesus and you walk with him in the ways in which he calls you forward, they feel restrictive, but actually they're the boundary lines that allow the creativity of our designer to be lived out in our lives. Because he is life himself and he shows us the way of life. I've had several conversations lately, whether it's about sexuality, whether it's about work, whether it's about relationships, whether it's about money. And I always come back to, hey, this is who Jesus is. Now, they a lot of times have a problem with the church part of this, right? And so I try to separate even the church for a moment from Jesus, all right? I I want you to see Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's elevate Jesus. Not the Jesus made in my image, not the Jesus made in in, uh, pop culture image, not the Jesus made in Christian subculture, but actually the Jesus of the New Testament, Let's talk about that Jesus. Let's talk about the Jesus in the Gospels. And while they may not fully ascribe to him after we're done, I do believe as we talk about who he truly is, they walk away with a more openness to consider who he truly is. I want you to not miss this because Jesus is for your freedom and flourishing. He is, and him being for your freedom and flourishing may seem counterintuitive, depending on what it is that we're talking about. But I don't want you to miss this. The way of life that he calls us to is a life that is marked very clearly, scripturally, by abundance. This is what Jesus would say about himself. I come to give life abundantly. That doesn't mean that our circumstances are always what we want them to be. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences that come into life but that still doesn't change that reality that in him is abundance of living. It doesn't change that because he's unchanging. And so as we think about this, I want to give you a couple questions to consider. How can we remember our rescuer and redeemer? How can we, how can we do that? And then here's the other part of this is I want you to consider, I want to ask you to be a part of the following here. Online, there's these 40 days of prayer and fasting. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And I had someone say, you know, I'm just going slow with it. I'm behind my reading because I'm just taking my time through it. And I said, what? No, I'm just kidding. I said, great. Hey, this is about practicing the way of Jesus. This is less about where you are in it, how far behind you are, (laughs) all that stuff. This is really about staying connected to the source. The other one is community groups. I am so grateful for all those who are leading community groups. I'm grateful for what God is bringing forth, the fruit I'm already seeing in this fall season as far as relationships and connection. We had a great community group on Thursday night. Oh man, it was just a sweet, sweet time together. And I'm grateful for that, where we can have people who help us to walk out, which is the mission and vision of community groups which is to be known, to be encouraged, and be sent. And I love that. I love that. And then tonight, if you haven't RSVP'd, it's okay. It's all right. We don't judge you. There's still space for our all-church banquet that's going on right here at Riverbend from 5 to 7. And I want to talk to you more about, we're going to talk to you more about what Foundations for the Valley is all about. And it's our hope and our heartbeat that you would walk away further encouraged and inspired and even some of the questions you may have would be answered, but that conversations could even start or continue, even at that banquet or beyond. You know, we, 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 want, we want to interface with you around these things. But then the last thing I want to invite you to do with me is to remember what Christ has done for us. We're, we're called to remember what he's done for us, and communion is the way that Jesus made it clear for us to remember. And in this passage, Luke 22:19 through 20, it says this, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so we're, we're called to remember this new covenant that's been established through Jesus, through his body being broken. He was broken and he, and he blessed, right? And he was a blessing. He was, he was broken and he was blessed. We talk about in our own lives that there are times where we experience that same thing. We're broken and blessed, but we're thankful for the one who's gone before us, right, in Jesus And so we're reminded and we're called to remember his sacrifice for us. His body being broken, his blood being shed for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're going to just ask for you not to partake in this, as this is for those who are followers of Jesus, to remember the sacrifice we've received, the sacrifice that we're embracing. And as we embrace this, we're also not to take it lightly. We're to like look at Jesus for all He is and all that He's done, to behold Him, to thank Him, but then to confess, hey, where is it in my life that I'm not where I should be? Maybe I'm not being a living sacrifice with my body in this area, in this part of my life. Maybe I'm not renewing my minds, my mind. You know, maybe I'm I'm not doing that. Hey, communion's a chance to confess that to confess to God, and and those are just two examples. There are many more that we can confess. Maybe it's bitterness you're holding on to. Man, you need to set yourself free by setting those people free. You need to to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given to you, and in response to that, forgive those that have hurt you. Or maybe you need to go to someone and ask for their forgiveness. Community is a chance for us to take stock and inventory of that. And so I just want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you as we think about what it is God's doing in this season, as we're preparing ourselves for where he's taking us, one of those practices that we're called to is to remember through communion. And so as we go to this time, I want to invite you to take that wafer be reminded his body broken for you. Take that juice be reminded of his blood spilled out for you what perfect love has been revealed to us by the father through jesus that we would be called the sons and daughters of god through faith we're grateful jesus we just invite you into this time we're thankful for your sacrifice thank you for lavishing on us with great generosity what we didn't earn, what we couldn't do in ourselves, but you perfectly and completely did for us. Thank you for sowing generously so that we could reap generously of, of what you endured on our behalf. We're grateful, Jesus. In the name of Jesus.